When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. See it. Hear it. Think it. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We have reached the end of yet another incredibly uh, active week, you'd have to say. Uh, lots of lots of news going on, uh, lots of things to report to you, lots of reasons why uh, we need to get your opinions today uh, on Friday of all days heading into the weekend. Uh, we know uh, one thing for sure. Coming up next week, we are going to get the official numbers of the people coming into this country in 2022. And it's going to be a big number. It could be 750,000. It could be 800,000. It could be 900,000. It could even be 1 million. And I've got a big question for you this morning. Why on earth do we need to import so many people from abroad to do work uh, that is, has to be done in this country? Why on earth are we not training enough people? Why on earth are we not upskilling enough people? Why are we not educating enough people? And why are we just finding it so difficult to fill jobs? I think I know the answer, but I'm going to seek help from various people, including Mark Littlewood, who is, of course, from the Institute of Economic Affairs. I'm going to ask him, why is it, for example, on the front page of The Times this morning, uh, it says the UK reliance on foreign nurses is at a critical level. In 2019, the government promised to recruit 50,000 extra nurses uh, to work in the NHS from abroad. Why? would be my question. These are not badly paid jobs. I know that some of the nurses don't think they're paid enough. I know that some of the nurses have been on strike for a very long time. I know that some of the nurses would like to continue to stay on strike until they get rid of the Tory government. But that's not really because the nursing job itself is too badly paid or too terrible in terms of its conditions, in terms of its holidays, in terms of its pension. It's not a bad job at all. If my daughter said to me, I'm thinking of becoming a nurse, I wouldn't say, for heaven's sake, don't do that. You'll be destitute and you'll be eating food out of dustbins before you know where you are. Because that's not true. Apparently, we don't have enough doctors either in the NHS. Apparently, we don't have enough computer scientists. Apparently, we don't have enough train drivers. Apparently, we don't have enough of all manner of different people to do all manner of different jobs. But I wonder why. Why do we have to import people? Why do we have to say that there's not enough people in Britain to actually work? We've got 5 million people who are economically inactive. What are they doing exactly? 0344 499 1000. We're going to talk to Paul Scully as well. Uh, he's government minister, of course, uh, for tech. He's also standing to run for London Mayor against Sadiq Khan. We'll find out from him what's going on. Also, we might ask him the question, what about Keir Starmer? What's he up to now? Why does he want to rejoin the European Union? I know he says he doesn't, but it's very obvious what he wants. Rupert Lowe will join us as well. He's going to talk to us about yet another four-star hotel closed so that they can house 230 migrants. We're going to find out the latest on the waterfront because, of course, there's all sorts of ridiculousness going on. Water companies claiming they're going to need to spend 10 billion to fix the system and they want us to pay for it. We'll talk about devil dogs. Also, Kevin O'Sullivan joins us because the latest news from ITV uh, is that Ant and Deck are quitting Saturday night takeaway. I don't know why, but we'll find out soon. Also, the ludicrous story in Scotland where a man dresses up as a woman, 
abducts a child, sexually abuses that child, a very young child, by the way, and now Humza Useless, the First Minister of Scotland, can't decide, now that he's been found guilty of sexual offences, whether he will be sent to a male prison or a female prison. Here we go again. Uh, it's the Gender Equality Act screwing up Scotland. What a collection of McNumpties. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's get it on. Welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Let's kick things off straight away with the one and only Mr. Mark Littlewood. Mark, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Great to be with you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I know that was a bit of a rambling beginning, so um, I'll help you out with where we want to start. But what is it about this country that we seem to be incapable of providing a domestic sort of employment uh, ladder so that everybody here can have a job that they want, that everybody here can be employed so that we don't need to import thousands and thousands and thousands of other people from foreign countries to do the jobs? It's a very good question, Mike, and I'm going to give you a pretty boring economist's answer. Okay. I think it all comes down to incentives. Uh, it's, it's not that you can't have British people being nurses. You mentioned if your daughter became a nurse, there's nothing wrong with that profession at all. Right. The problem is, at the, the, the at various points in the income spectrum, we don't really make it worthwhile to work. Mm. Uh, it's extraordinary, some of the effective tax rates that you pay. I mean, obviously, your income tax is relatively low if you're earning a standard wage. But if you're coming off benefits, you start losing those as well. And I'm really worried, not just whether it's nurses or any other profession, but that we've got, what is it now, two and a half million people in Britain who are long-term sick, apparently, uh, we basically replaced long-term unemployment, which was seen as the problem in the 1980s and uh, 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 around about that time, with long-term sickness. And I don't think that we've actually got the right incentives in the system to encourage British people to get into work. There's a certain level at which you will decide, you will make a judgment that work doesn't pay. Uh, that's not the sort of equation that's faced by people abroad who can actually see a nurse's salary in the UK is a pretty attractive salary. So why not come here and, and, and become a nurse? Now, I don't much mind, really, whether our nurses are Bulgarian or British or Estonian or, or anything else, as long as they're good. But I think it is problematic that we seem to have lost from the British labour market a good, good number of the British population who really should be involved and engaged in it. And I think that requires an overhaul of our tax system and our welfare system to yeah. make pay for the people who live it. Which basically takes us on to the next part of the conversation, which is why are our taxes so high? Because we've got bigger government now than we ever used to have. We've got a Tory party which is taxing its, its nation more than any party and any government since the Second World War. Uh, Rishi Sunak sort of hinted the other day that he might start reducing taxes, but he's going to have to get on with it if he wants to win the next election, isn't he? I think he does have to get on with it, Mike. It's absolutely extraordinary. After 13 years of a Conservative government, we, uh, our tax rates are now, in aggregate, uh, as high as they were under Clement Attlee's post-war socialist government. It's absolutely incredible. Right. And uh, uh, and there's a real problem here. It's like, uh, we've, we've just touched on how it disincentivizes work, but it also tends to dampen down growth. Our, our, our growth figures, our productivity figures are extremely poor uh, in the United Kingdom. And I'll make this guess, if you like, Mike. I, I think that before the next election, the Conservatives will cut tax, but only by a smidgen. Mm. We will still be taxed more than when they came to office. 
uh, if you really want to get tax down, then you've got to make some difficult decisions about spending. And politicians of, of all stripes seem to always shy away from that. If you want to spend more and more on the NHS, more and more on pensions, more and more on education, more and more on the military, well, taxes will have to be maxed out. And I think we've got to take a long, hard look again at exactly what the government does, how much is it spending, and if you can get spending under control, you can start to get taxes down. But I fear that Rishi Sunak and the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt are going to be fiddling really on the edges, even yeah. if there is very modest giveaway before the election. Because it feels like we've been hobbled in a way, economically, by, by the furlough payments, by COVID, by the lockdown, all of that. And I mean, it's all very well to say, oh, well, we couldn't do much about it. That was a pandemic. Well, actually, you could have done a lot about it. You didn't have to uh, give loads and loads of money to people. You didn't have to give five billion quid away to, to companies that didn't exist, uh, fraudulently obtaining that money and never giving it back. You know, they didn't have to start underpaying uh, or underpinning rather everybody's energy bills uh, what they could have done is actually stop act charging all sorts of you know green subsidies to these energy companies and bring people's bills down that way you know we seem to have found ourselves and I find this extraordinary having uh, been a child of the 70s I mean I know you're a bit younger than me maybe you don't remember it you know we went through austerity we went through difficult times you know we dealt with it what we didn't do was put your hand out and go can I have some free money for the government please yeah, that's right, Mike. And, you know, at the time, these things are sort of warmly welcomed, aren't they? We're going through a pandemic. Let's have a huge furlough scheme. There's a war in Ukraine and an energy problem. Let's have a huge underwriting of everybody's energy bill. Uh, you can see the attraction at the time. But the problem is these things catch up with you. Yeah. If you keep spending money today on tick, on credit, on borrowing, it starts to catch up with you tomorrow or, or the next day or the next year. And sometimes... At the time, we treat it as free money. Uh, there's nothing free. It has to be paid for by the taxpayer. And actually, borrowing money, is, is, is from a government perspective, is merely a tax deferred. You can't borrow if you want to pay for generous furlough schemes or to subsidise people's energy bills. But you're, you're just passing that down in, in, in tax at a, at a later date. So uh, we, we've basically become fiscally incontinent. Yeah. Uh, we are completely incapable of turning off the spending taps and that means with it goes higher and higher taxes and that the trajectory is absolutely jaw-dropping and terrible if you don't actually start to make those big decisions on spending whether it's we're not going to help on your energy bills as much or we're not going to have furlough schemes in a pandemic of this level of generosity if you're not willing to make those decisions tax comes to bite you sooner or later and it's coming to bite us now. Yeah, and I think we are a, a country now which is reliant upon government support. You see it even psychologically from people. As soon as they hit some kind of difficult patch, they want a handout or they want to be told, oh, don't worry, don't worry about coming to work, just stay at home. If you're feeling a bit anxious, don't worry. You know, and we know that this is massively affecting the economy. And I keep hearing from people all the time who go, oh, you're so old-fashioned, Mike. Working from home is the future. You know, this is the way it's all going to be and you just have to stop being a dinosaur. Well, that's all fine as long as you want to live in a world where there isn't anybody working inside the cities, where the cities are hollowed out versions of, you know, Philadelphia and San Francisco, where there's thousands of homeless people living in tents on the streets and there's literally no business going on. Yeah, that's right. And here's the sorry state of affairs, Mike. Now, uh, we, we have more than 50% of households are net beneficiaries from state handouts. If you go right back to the founding of the welfare state, the aim of it, indeed, this is what Beveridge, who basically set up the welfare state, said, was to provide minimal support uh, over a temporary period of time at a subsistence level. Right. So you should be gearing your 
your handouts to, you know, perhaps helping, I don't know, sake of argument, the bottom five or the bottom 10 percent of the population, ideally for a short period of time, just as they can get through a crisis. We've allowed that now to grow where we're we're, we're providing assistance to the bottom 50 percent of the population. It's absolutely uh, extraordinary. Uh, the welfare bill, uh, including pensions, is easily the biggest ticket item on government expenditure. Uh, and I wish we would actually reframe that, rephrase it, and make sure that the welfare state's there as a short-term safety net for those at the very bottom, not for those in the middle or a little bit down the ladder. And if we were able to do that, taxes could fall. But if you want to be generous on everything, uh, whether that's state pensions or housing benefit or anything else, then I'm afraid the tax on the working population goes up and you get a ratchet effect whereby you have more and more people dragged into welfare, fewer and fewer people paying taxes, and those who are paying taxes paying less and less in tax. So we've got to absolutely change that trajectory. And I think that the biggest ticket item we should look at is the welfare state and to make sure by and large, it sounds like a bit of a binary approach, a bit too straightforward, but by and large, focus welfare on the bottom five or 10% of the population and expect the top 90 or 95% of the population to look after themselves. Yeah, because I've never been in favour, and we'll explore this in a moment a bit more, I've never been in favour of subsidising employers. If you're not getting paid enough money, why the heck is the state topping up the pay that you're not being given by a, a, a commercial operation? Makes no sense to me at all. Meanwhile, the bad news, talking to Mark Little, we'll be back with him in a second, uh, for Rishi Sunak, uh, is that his personal fortune and his wife, Akshata Murti's personal fortune, has fallen by more than 200 million quid over the last year. Uh, apparently the value of her stake in her father's company's plummeted. Imagine that. How's it going, darling? Uh, I've lost 200 million. Have you? Don't worry. Uh, I've still got another 529 million left. That's fine then. Do you want another cup of tea? This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. A couple of you have got things to say about the nursing problems. Cliff in Berkshire says, Mike, why can't we train enough nurses? As a retired nurse, I believe the gangster state's insistence that all nurses must have a degree is the problem. Nursing was always a vocation, but it no longer is seen as such. And Jenny says, Mike, one of my best mates trained as a nurse over 30 years ago. She was trained in a London hospital. No degree was needed. Scrap nurse degrees. So we're short of them. I went to a proper London uni when only 7% went. Scrap rubbish unis. It's just debt. Jenny in High Wycombe, that is, of course. Uh, and Ed says, Mike, well said. Even in something as simple as tour guiding in Manchester, it's impossible to find anyone to do tours. There are plenty of guides, but they won't work. Is it laziness? Well, you know, this is the problem we've got. The other story we've got this morning, Mark, to, uh, to discuss on top of wh why do we need so many foreign workers to come into this country to make it all work, um, is this the start of the great AI jobs bloodbath, says the front page of the Daily Mail. Uh, apparently BT saying that we're going to replace 10,000 staff uh, with AI, artificial intelligence. Now, I suppose you might say, well, we could have told you this would happen. You know, what two of the things that we knew might happen from if the work from home thing started was one, they're going to outsource your jobs to somewhere overseas. You can run a call centre from New Delhi as easy as you can uh, from High Wycombe. Um, and also AI is going to come in and put loads of people out of work. So are we looking forward to a sort of a future economy where people have literally got more leisure time, even if they, whether they like it or not? It's intriguing, isn't it, Mike? And I'm not uh, enough of a techie to know about some of the dangers of AI and whether it's going to sort of take over the world a bit like the supercomputer HAL from the movie 2001, uh, 2001 A Space right. Odyssey. Uh, but broadly, I welcome it. 
Uh, I mean, the technology does displace jobs. It does mean that people who are doing jobs that can now be automated uh, are laid off. But it doesn't mean that the total amount of employment goes down. Uh, I mean, the reason that Smith is the most common surname in, in Britain is because blacksmiths used to be the most common job. Right. When we invented the motor car, uh, that that tend to put blacksmiths out of jobs. There are a handful left in the United Kingdom, but mm. it's no longer the standard trade. And AI is going to have that impact and that effect. And I don't think it will necessarily mean we're a leisure society. It's that people will find different types of work, whether that's in social care, for example. Uh, I don't think an AI robot is going to keep people company particularly well. And what's intriguing about this, what wasn't, if you like, predicted by the, the science fiction films uh, when we were looking into the future was we assumed we'd have robot we would have robots around our house and in uh, in our places of work to do manual jobs yes. you know they they do the they do the vacuuming for us they make us a cup of tea uh, uh, that sort of thing in fact it looks like they're going to do the thinking jobs we found it far easier to replicate the human brain rather than the human hand right. so if you're doing the sort of job which involves numbers or typing things in or accountancy then ai is coming for you and it's worth you thinking about how you should find a different useful part mm. uh, part to play in our employment market. So this is just the start of it. I don't think it will be a bloodbath. I don't think that humanity is going to be rendered idle by it. I think humanity will be rendered more efficient overall, but a good number of jobs are going to go. But as ever, um, you know, we sit here now, for example, talking about all manner of things that were not planned for. You know, the NHS is in decline because nobody's ever bothered to try and fix it. Uh, the railway systems are broken. You know, the water industry is a mess because nobody's actually invested properly in it to fix all the leaks and to fix uh, its kind of uh, infrastructure. We've got problems in um, in schools. We've got problems in, because nobody's planned ahead. Now, I don't see the government talking about this. I don't see them planning ahead to say to people, you might want to think about not getting a degree in such and such a thing because actually some AI operation, some robot can do that. Why don't you train to do something with your hands or why don't you train to be uh, some kind of, you know, manufacturing specialist? Because I think that's what we've missed. You know, we don't have enough people to do the basic manual jobs that you have to go to work to do. You're right, Mike, but kind of colour me unsurprised. The government's behind <laughs> the curve and can't predict the future. Who would have thought it, right? I mean, well, yeah, but you and I, I mean, I, 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 maybe I shouldn't include you in this, but I mean, I'm not the world's greatest genius, but even I can see that, you know, you do need to actually plan occasionally to do something, otherwise it doesn't work out. Yeah, you're exactly right. And this is going to be a very disruptive, I think, very exciting technology. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd trust the government to plan for it, but I think the private sector will plan mm. for it quite well. But you mentioned that people, folk might not choose to go to university, if you like, you, you, you know, become a plumber rather than uh, an accountant, perhaps. Uh, I think this is actually going to uh, completely uh, turn education inside out and right. upside. And you, you've already got the issue that, you know, you can't, uh, you know, back in the day, Mike, where you and I would have done handwritten essays in schools. Well, no, no point in even thinking about that now. You can type into your chat GTP or some other AI robot, what was the Battle of Hastings yeah. in 500 words, and it will give you the answer. Right. So education is probably going to be the first area that gets turned upside down. And rather than writing essays, because you'll be able to get them all off a computer, I think it's likely to be much more conversational in future right. and actually we may see many fewer universities because you'll be able to teach yourself things from home if you've got one of these ai bots rather than having to go off to some uh, building somewhere for three years in order to 
write essays down on a piece of yeah, paper. Yeah, but nobody but, goes to university to be educated anymore. You go to university to be indoctrinated, you know, into Marxism so that you can become a, a decent MP uh, and head for net zero quotas. Well, not just indoctrinated, Mike, but also to be in a safe space <laughs> to make sure you're not offended for three years. Yeah, That's exactly right. But, you know, this is the other thing, though. The whole point of education, it seems to me, has been lost. You know, as you say, people are now going, oh, yeah, but I can just get some uh, bot to write me a, an essay. The whole point of writing the essay is not just that it proves you know what you're talking about. It also teaches you how to write, teaches you how to have a skill. You know, that all seems to have been forgotten about. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, you know, ed- education always has to adapt with the times. But uh, I, I think if we get this right, and who knows whether or not we will, Mike, it will it will actually add to education, even if the educational system changes. You know, I, I can remember the, the pocket calculator was quite a new thing when mm-hmm. I was at school. And, and some teachers said, oh, I don't really want you to have calculators. You, you, you've got to do your, you know, your, your, your basic algebra and math on the chalkboard. Uh, calculators are obviously part and parcel of everybody's life. Now you can get them on your mobile phone for, for next to nothing. Right. So it will change education. Uh, but I think what we've got to do is to, you know, show and teach people how to use this technology in the same way we've taught them how to use pocket calculators, computers, the printing press uh, and everything else. So it's exciting if we if we grasp it properly and understand mm. it properly. It will be disruptive, but all great technological leaps forward are always disruptive. Yeah, that it will be. Here's a good question from Dave in Sussex, and you can put your economist hat back on for this one. Uh, where are HMRC going to get all the, uh, what are they going to do with all the collapsing revenues with AI taking over all the jobs? AI won't pay any tax. Where will the money come from to support the government and its exploding welfare bill? You never hear anything about that. It's a good question. I mean, if you've got a company and instead of employing 200 people, you've got, you know, 20 robots, none of them are paying income tax. Or national insurance. How does that work? No, that's true. And we will see automation. Of course, we don't only tax income. We do tax capital gains sure. and company profits and there are business rates and all of the rest of it. But if we were to imagine that sort of company, that hypothetical example in which 200 people are, are laid off from a factory because it's all automated, it doesn't mean those 200 people won't be working. They will probably be doing something else, probably of productive employment. Mm. Again, when Henry Ford invented the motor car uh, and blacksmiths started to be a thing of the past because there was few, that much less demand to have your horses hooved than previously, it didn't mean that, that unemployment zoomed up. People started to get into the motor car industry rather than the blacksmithing industry. So I think there will still be gainful and useful employment. It will just be of a very, very different type. Yes, it's going to be a fascinating time. Uh, Mark, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Mark Littlewood, Director General uh, of the Institute of Economic Affairs. AI, apparently, is going to be taking a lot of jobs in the future. So shouldn't we now be preparing for either a life of luxury, lying about, playing golf, going on holiday, doing nothing at all, and expecting us to have the same level of income? Well, it's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to be like that. It's like people who work from home pretending that everything's rosy in the garden. Well, it isn't, I'm afraid. And we're going to have to find out why it isn't going to be rosy and what to do about it. 0344 499 1000. Paul Scully's coming up next. He's running to be Mayor of London and to beat Sadiq Khan, which would be a marvellous thing, and I'm sure you'd all agree. He also happens to be the tech um, minister for this particular government, so we'll ask him about AI. I wonder if MPs will be replaced by robots. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Kevin O'Sullivan joins me a little bit later on in the show. We're going to find out what is the latest scandal that's hit ITV. Uh, it may not be a scandal as such, but it's another kind of uh, a little uh, bump in the road, shall we say. Ant and Deck apparently are no longer going to present Saturday Night Takeaway. Don't know why. Uh, Sandy says this is the fish and chip shop in the next village. have had staff wanted signs in the window for a year. Youngsters probably think this is beneath them if they have a degree. However, Mickey Mouse, that degree is. And Rachel says, I worked in the Golden Egg when I was 40. You've got to remember that place until my apprenticeship at 16. And it wasn't great, but I had my own pocket money and my parents taught me to be independent. Uh, they were always there if I needed them, uh, but I always loved having my own money. And Tom says, why can't the youths of today do what we did as youngsters? Go spud picking on a Saturday and Sunday and fruit picking in the summer holidays. That's that's what we did to earn a few bob. No need in those days for imported labour. Well, this is the problem. You know, I've asked that question this morning to Mark Littlewood. I'm going to ask it now to Paul Scully as well, because we seem to be importing an awful lot of people to do an awful lot of jobs in this country. And I don't understand why we don't have enough people in this country already to fill those jobs. What's going on? 0344 499 1000. Let's say a very good morning uh, to Paul Scully, Minister for Tech and the Digital Economy. Paul, how are you doing? Morning. Yeah, really good. Thanks. Yeah, good to hear from you. We're going to talk about your your plan to run for mayor of London, which is a a great piece of news as far as we're concerned. You know, I mean, I'm in the anybody but Sadiq Khan camp, to be honest. Um, So I haven't quite endorsed a candidate, but I'd certainly be happy to see you running the place. Um, Can we talk just before that a bit about why we need so many foreign uh, workers to come to this country? Because we expect to be told by the end of next week that something like a million possibly people have come in legally uh, to this country in 2022 to do all manner of things, including study at university, uh, but also do jobs. But we seem to have an awful lot of people in this country who don't do jobs at all. Shouldn't we try and fix that? Uh, hi, Mike. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We should. Uh, and Mel Stride, the uh, Secretary of State for Department of Work and Pensions, was talking a lot about that uh, this week, about exactly what we do to fill the 1.4 million, uh, million vacancies that are there with people from this country. You can't just magic that up overnight. Um, and so we've got to make sure that we can bring people that are sort of like, that become economically inactive, whether that's through long term sickness, whether that's through people just at the um, that are slightly older, the retiring earlier, bring them back into the workplace. And we've got to bring incentives to do so. That's why we lifted the uh, uh, cap on pensions, for example, to get more doctors back in, in on, on field. We're still going to have some ing- immigration. And it's right that we're open for uh, people studying and people with entrepreneurial spirit to to set up businesses that brightest and best but we shouldn't rely on that and that's absolutely right it's training it's getting people back to work yeah i mean what people say to me paul is that yeah all well and good you bring in doctors if you bring in people who are professionals bringing in people uh, to study but six hundred thousand foreign students seems like an awful lot particularly when they're given permission if they wish to to bring dependents with them well, I think that's what we're looking at. I think we're just, it's, it, you know, the whole point about Brexit was to have managed and controlled immigration. It wasn't to stop immig- immigration. Mm. It's a very difficult juggernaut to turn around. Uh, but that's what um, uh, Suella Braverman and, and others are working on at the moment to make sure that we can get that regime that is tight but fair. Yeah. And I think it needs to be tweaked, doesn't it? Because if you are having a million people coming in and you're not absolutely sure how many of them are staying around, after the visas have run out, um, you know, the system isn't working terribly well. Well, I think that's yeah, exa- exactly what we're trying to uh, trying to work on. It's a it's a complex situation. The Home Office is very big. The immigration uh, service is particularly big as well. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we're turning around what was left to um, to to grow and expand for a number of years. But it also shouldn't be conflated 
uh, with the fact that, as I say, we want to attract the brightest and best. It shouldn't be conflated with the small boat situation, which are absolutely determined to stamp out that illegal immigration. Yes. Um, but let's move on to another subject. Uh, AI. You're the Minister for Tech and the Digital Economy. Uh, stories in the papers today suggesting that AI is going to start replacing people's jobs. BT in particular, replacing 10,000 jobs with AI. A couple of questions on that. Um, one, what happens to the income tax that those 10,000 people used to pay that you don't get anymore? And two, uh, is this something people should be worried about? I think it's, it's something that we've got to have a concern about, and that's why we published the AI white paper um, a month or so ago, which um, looks at how we regulate AI, first of all, how we and what the impacts are going to be to make sure that we can work with the sector to better understand that so that we can uh, cope with the change that is inevitably coming. What uh, we might want to make sure that as um, companies like BT pivot, towards a greater use of AI, that the jobs change, they don't go, um, so that we, we're able to um, employ people uh, in different scenarios. And so, and that those kind of jobs are coming in. Who would have put, there was a job called a prompt engineer. Mm. Uh, never heard of it six months ago. What that is, it's someone that doesn't have to be technically trained, uh, that can talk to chat GPT and make sure that the answers are human are sort of be, you know articulated uh, better so improving the service there there's lots of um, opportunities with AI as well as those risks that you rightly point out yes but I mean from the money point of view the Treasury you know you know what they're like they're always grasping at uh, any kind of um, cash they can get their hands on from whichever department or whichever human they can they can manage to tax if they suddenly see that there's a bit of a dip in the tax take uh, they're going to try and get it somewhere else aren't they well, I mean, I think that's what I mean. But if you're putting people in different jobs, then they're still going to be paying income tax, but just not uh, via BT, whatever, you know, whichever jobs they're, they're, they're looking mm. at getting rid of. So that's what I mean. We've got to pivot because it's not just about the tax. It's about the welfare that you'd otherwise have to pay and, and the other costs that are associated with having a, a, a rise in unemployment. But at the moment, you know, we're still seeing, despite all of the travails that we've had with COVID and the war and the cost of living, we're still seeing a good amount of uh, number of people in the workplace uh, and people coming back to the workplace as well. Yes. And let's talk about your uh, attempt to run for London mayor, because uh, what made you decide to do that? I know um, you, you, you've been living uh, in this part of the world for a long time. I'm not sure if you're from uh, the southeast of England, but tell us why you decided to have a, have a go at being mayor. No, I was born. Thanks, I was born in rugby. I moved to uh, London when I was nineteen, so I've had all my adult life uh, here. I'm fifty-five now, and in the last three years, I've been minister for London, and so I've seen the mayor at close close quarters, and I've seen him deflect and not rather than deliver on his policies. And then we've seen the Met Police in special measures, the fire brigade in special measures. We've seen uh, not enough houses being built. We've seen TfL on its knees financially, and of course, the la the the straw that broke the camel's back the ULES expansion yeah. uh, in outer London, which is just going to cause so much pain for lowest paid for charities and businesses. It's that frustration that's made me say, you know what, I'm the MP, I'm MP for Sutton, but all of the people, the inbox is full of people from Sutton, from around London, complaining about those things, the mayor, which the mayor has the power to change. Yes. And I mean, the problem for, for an awful lot of London is, is that, you know, the police, as you say, are in special measures. Um, they're not fighting much crime. Crime is going up on the streets of London. Knife crime is still going up. London's still the capital of knife crime, as we discovered yesterday uh, with a set of new figures. He didn't have much to say about that. He's got plenty to say about sperm counts and cars and cycle lanes and, you know, whether or not hate crime should be punishable by death. But he's got nothing to say about knife crime. 
No, absolutely. Look, this is a man that, as I say, he uh, deflects and diverts rather than delivers. He will sit there and wag a finger at the government. He will wag a finger at um, people he just doesn't agree with or councils or, or anybody apart from himself, which begs the question, what's the point of the mayor? What is he there to actually do? He's the de facto police and crime commissioner. He's the chairman of the TfL board. He's, uh, he's the guy that's supposed to be building, overseeing the build, building houses in London. He needs to take responsibility. He needs to be held accountable. Basically, yeah. he needs to go. And and you, Les, basically is a, is a, as a, a sort of a disease, if you want to call it that, which is infecting large portions of the country. It started in London, but it's now in Glasgow. It's in Newcastle. It's in Bristol. Um, it's in Cambridge. It's in Bath. I think it's in Oxford. You know, so many places are now punishing motorists, punishing ordinary citizens who are already paying loads of tax and trying to get even more money out of them. Uh, because it's not about of clean air. It's about raising in revenue, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think the the ULES was the original ULES was introduced by Boris Johnson when he was mayor uh, in the very centre of town, and uh, and why? Because actually, you had the alternatives with public tra- pretty good public transport. You still need the car for some things in those areas, um, but there were realistic alternatives, so it worked. In outer London, you just need a car to do um, a number of different journeys because the the alternatives are not there. You can't carry step ladders if you're a small business right. on the tube or on a bus. No, exactly right. So, I mean, when do we expect to see the sort of the start of the uh, the run-in for, for for this? Because there's quite a few people who have, who have sort of named themselves as as possibly running. When when is it all going to start heating up? Yeah, so I launched yesterday, and we're going to see over the next couple of months. Nineteenth of July is when we will declare um, the 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 successful candidate right. um, who will become the conservative candidate, which. Um, Basically, I believe it's me because I'm the one that has the experience, the understanding of the issues and the temperament. And I'm the one that can beat Sadiq Khan and bring that change. OK, Paul, good to see you. Uh, we wish you well. Thank you very much indeed. Paul Scully, MP, Minister for Tech and Digital Economy, also running uh, to be Mayor of London. And quite frankly, knowing what we know about Sadiq Khan, uh, I would nominate my dog uh, to stand against Sadiq Khan and I'd vote for the dog. Easy. No question. Anybody but Sadiq Khan. Um, breaking news, by the way, Timothy Schofield, the brother of TV star Philip Schofield from this morning, of course, uh, has been jailed at Bristol Crown Court for 12 years after being convicted of 11 sexual offences involving a child. This is Talk TV. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots to do, plenty of time to do it and we're here till one o'clock of course. Don't forget, Plank of the Week is coming up tonight at 7pm and there's an awful lot of plankery out there. I mean, if you just think about what's happened this week, uh, you'll see how easy it is to put a list together of 10 planks. They can be organisations, they can be individuals, they can be teams of people. Uh, just wait and see. 7pm tonight, uh, right after Vanessa Feltz, of course, uh, and just before Nadine Dorries. We only have black sacks and orange bags, thank God, but the trucks still have the COVID tosh on the side. They haven't taken it off. What sort of mum does Phil have? Um, are you so... And who's the ultimate Mr Blobby? My patience has run dry. Well, do you know, the point about the, the emptying of bins and the emptying of, of rubbish sacks and refuse sacks and all the rest of it, the point is, surely to heavens, the council collects enough money to do the right thing to do one thing only and if they only emptied your bins on time every single day didn't miss them because of the car parts in front that would be fine but they don't do they 
Absolutely ludicrous. Uh, morning, Mike. I hate to say it, but the 1.24 million people unemployed are mainly made up of the uneducated and unfit to work types. These people aren't capable of physically or mentally doing the jobs you mentioned, and I wouldn't trust them to do them properly either, says David in Wiltshire. Um, plenty to talk about on the migrant front as well, by the way. Uh, there's a four-star hotel in Hertfordshire called Needham House that has cancelled 11 weddings. One bride-to-be had booked flights and rooms for a wedding in September, uh, but the Home Office has now booked it solid for 230 migrants and it's shut its doors to everybody else. Let's talk to Rupert Lowe, a former MEP, about the latest uh, from the Daily Migrant, because that's more or less what this uh, story has become. Rupert, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Thanks How for, are you? Thank me. I'm all right. Very, uh, very much better off than I am than some of these people who are trying to get married. I mean, imagine booking a wedding, which can be quite complicated these days, particularly with families sort of strewn all over the place. People make plans to come and stay. People make plans to, you know, book flights, book cars, all sorts of things. Needham House Hotel um, near Hitchin in Hertfordshire um, has been entirely block booked by the Home Office. It joins probably, what, several hundred other hotels up and down the country, uh, full of these people. Well, you and I have discussed this before, and uh, it's an entirely soluble situation, but it, what it requires is a government with the will uh, to solve the problem. Mm. And, you know, as I said to you, this used to happen regularly in my West Midlands constituency when I when I was uh, in the uh, part of the Brexit party. Um, and it was all done very secretively. It was all done uh, behind, behind closed doors. And it was ultimately, you can't really blame the hotel owners. They probably make a lot of money out of it. But uh, what it what it effectively exemplifies is the fact that our government does not want to follow a proven model which which the australians followed we have a, where there should be a zero tolerance policy to illegal immigration yeah. and ultimately we should be targeting people who are going to make a contribution to our economy and they should do it legally and anyone who tries to come here illegally should never be allowed to enter the country again no. the australians have done it they have zero illegal immigration now they have a much bigger border than us they've shown us the way to do it but the problem we've got, Mike, is, you know, it's a bit like a lot of the other stuff that's going wrong in the country. Uh, I mean, we've now got a, a country full of people who are idle and indolent, mm. uh, many of whom uh, don't want to work, many of whom are on benefit, benefit uh, frauds. Uh, our government is populated with the ministers who are supposed to be making the decisions and then the civil service who are supposed to be executing what those ministers decide. Mm. I have no faith in either the ministers to make the right decision or the civil service to execute what they're supposed to be executing. No. So it doesn't really matter whether it's policing the borders or policing uh, illegal immigration, uh, policing uh, benefit fraud or any other form of government administration, I think is, is, is flawed. Hmm. So I, 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 I think rapidly there are more and more people who realize this is happening. But the problem we've got is that a large percentage of the country is now employed directly or indirectly by the government, so they don't want to hear the truth. Uh, and a lot of people are getting free handouts from the state, uh, funded basically by QE and by the by HMRC crunching down on the productive, or the increasingly small productive part of our economy. Yeah. So 
the outlook is incredibly bleak. Well, it really is, because the government seems to be, as you say, sort of limiting growth almost deliberately, handing out free money to people who can't afford to live here and pay their bills anymore, uh, handing out free money to people who are coming here illegally, handing out free money to people who don't want to work, you know, and all this free money is coming from the likes of you and I, who actually work for a living and get taxed up the wazoo. Well, not only that, HMRC is extremely quick, Mike, in, in chasing down every penny that they think is owed to them. So on one hand, they're chasing down the productive economy. On the other hand, they're dishing out uh, bounce-back loans without any due diligence. They're, they're dishing out uh, you know, other uh, benefits without the necessary disciplines. And at the end of the day, they have a, a, a total disregard, in my view, for what I call the honest, decent people of, of Middle England mm. who uh, basically work hard, contribute, uh, and generally want a, a comfortable, uncomplicated life, uh, and they do make a contribution to the country. But uh, they're the ones who are being put upon by this, what I call, liberal elite, which seems to have lost its way. Yeah. Well, I was talking to Peter Hitchens earlier this week, and we were discussing how interesting the numbers are from Europe, you know, because those sort of uh, Remainers who look to Europe for all things and say how wonderful it is over there, uh, European countries, including France, Germany, Spain and Italy, all refuse more asylum seeker applications than we do, right? So there's a good reason why they come here, because they know that they'll probably get accepted, because we accept close on 80% of people, largely because they stay here for so long that they end up getting residential status. I believe the Home Office are deliberately um, slowing down the processing in order for these people to, allow, to be allowed to stay. Of course, but then, again, what, what they're saying is, as, as you know, is they're all saying, oh, well, we need the people to do the work. Well, that's only because I think I'm right in saying our official unemployment is 1.3 million people, which is about 3.7%. Yeah. There are actually, I think, 10 million people of working age, which is between 16 and 64, who aren't working. So the figures only record those who want to work. They don't record those who aren't working. So what we need to do is, again, make it unattractive for people. Obviously, we've got to have in place a support network for those who are genuinely disadvantaged and need help. That, that's a hallmark of a civilized society. But what we've got to do is make it uncomfortable for people who are basically feeding off the backs of productive Britain, completely unashamed by what they're doing. Mm. And, you know, what they're, what they're effectively comfortable doing is pulling the wool over the government's eyes. Yeah. And, and this benefit fraud is out of control. And every time I say this, you know, I get deluged with lots of people moaning on Twitter about how I'm a hard, hard sort of person and everything else. But the fact is, why should the productive part of the economy be taxed into oblivion to fund a bunch of indolent scroungers who basically don't do any work? Exactly. So what we need to do is make it very uncomfortable for them so they either live a very uncomfortable life or they go out and get a job right. like the rest of us. Yeah. Well, I mean, in America, for example, and I know people say, oh, yeah, but there's loads of people on the streets of America, but that's completely different and for a different reason. Most of them are on drugs. If you go and claim unemployment in America, you can only claim it for six months and then you have to get a job, any job. doesn't matter what job you get, but you cannot remain on benefits for the rest of time, which unfortunately is what people do in this country. The other people um, but, who... who but are... Even so, Mike, what we're seeing in America is very interesting. I mean, I wrote a piece on it last week. Uh, you're seeing actually now the sort of, you know, the, the, the parts of America which are run by uh, uh, unsound people. Yes. With sort of extreme left-wing views, you know, whether it's San Francisco, Chicago, 
they're all breaking down. Yeah. Lawlessness is, is becoming endemic. Yeah. You know, people, people, house prices are falling there. People are leaving that part of the country. And they're going to places like Florida, which are probably yeah. run by, by people like yeah. Ron DeSantis, who's, who's a sort of beacon of common sense uh, left, you know, he should be on your show. He's a top. top I know. Well, we plan, we, 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 plan, we plan to get him on. Yeah, we do. I mean, there's no doubt. A friend of mine just came back from San Francisco and he said exactly that, that it's full of people who are on fentanyl, uh, this terrible new drug that they're all, sti- that they're all sticking yeah. into themselves. And he said it was literally like the zombie apocalypse. It's not particularly dangerous, but they're just all wandering around in a kind of state of drugged up highness. Um, and they don't even know you're there. But it's whole tented villages in every sort of street in the main centre of San Francisco. It's horrendous. Same in Chicago, where I think they've got a communist mayor. Yeah. Sort of, you know, as we know, Mike, communism never, it has never worked no. and never will work. No. Uh, the only thing that works is, is sort of uh, the individual basically uh, being empowered to sort of pursue his life peacefully, yeah. respecting other people and get on with, with, with what they exactly want to get right. on with. That way you actually get a sensible society. Well, New, York, New York's going the same way. Bill de Blasio, who was the mayor before last, or the mayor before the current one, actually said during the pandemic, we want to get rid of all the rich people out of New York City. And it was like, well, how do you think you actually get any money? You complete and utter numpty. You know, but that's another story. Let's talk about the lawyers as well. These yeah. lawyers who are preying upon the Home Office. Um, the National Crime Agency says they're going to pursue corrupt immigration solicitors who are in league with criminal gangs. Because what we found out is an awful lot of the Albanian uh, men who come over here are associated with criminal gangs. Uh, we've, we've got 200 of them currently being deported. And we're paying Romania, uh, not Romania, Albania apparently, to put them in prisons in Albania. I don't know who's negotiating on behalf of the British government, but I think they need somebody like you to do it. Well, again, lawyers is another favourite subject of mine. I mean, you know, they lawyers, in my experience, uh, they get between the wall and the wallpaper. They have very, very little moral basis to their lives. They believe in the spirit, in the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. And they're quite happy to pork barrel large sums of money out of you know, whether it's illegal immigrants, whether it's uh, HSE, you know, health and safety mm. executive claims, whether it's sort of, you know, other other sort of, you know, car crash claims right. or whatever. These people, are, they're now, as I've said before, half a cut above themselves, mm. and there are far too many of them. So somehow, uh, you know, historically, the lawyers have always been, uh, you know, kicked, kicked hard when they get too big for their boots. Well, we now need a government that basically uh, does clamp down on what these lawyers are doing and does it very hard. But can you actually see the people who infest either our our ministerial ranks or indeed our civil service ever clamping down on anything? I I just can't see them doing it in the current structure. I mean, they talk a good game, but they very rarely actually do what they say they're going to do. But but we do have ludicrous cases. I've, I've quoted from this one before. Um, where lawyers will find an excuse as to why you can't be deported. One particular uh, Albanian who works and lives in Leicester, apparently runs a car wash business, um, he applied to stay here on the grounds that if he went back to Albania, he might be killed. And when they was asked why um, he might be killed, he said, well, because my wife's family want to kill me. And he said, and they said, why is that? He said, because I killed her. And now he's here, <laughs> living, living and working in Britain under protection of British law. It's, it's, Mike, it's extraordinary. But how have we got to the stage we've got to now? I mean, I, I sort of look back and I think about all those, those wonderful people who fought for our freedom in mm. World War I and World War II. What would they think now if they looked 
at modern Britain? Would they actually think that they sacrificed their life for something worth propagating? I, I, I can't think they would. Can you? No, I think they'd be horrified at what Britain has actually become. But Rupert, listen, we're out of time, unfortunately. We must speak to you again soon. Rupert Lowe, a former MEP, of course, on the news that the National Crime Agency says it's going to crack down on corrupt immigration lawyers. Uh, but also, yet another hotel falls by the wayside, this time in Hertfordshire. Uh, if you've had your event cancelled as a result of something that this has happened uh, to you on, do let us know. 0344 Jamie in Rugby says, Rugby Council is incompetent and the bin men are always striking. Half the time they refuse to collect rubbish Rugby has a lot of narrow roads as it's an old town, but nothing that would stop a bin lorry, fire engine or ambulance from getting to them. They just can't be bothered to do any actual work. Same with the rest of the town. They are expanding and building loads of new housing, but we don't have a functioning hospital, police station or any real services. It's a joke. People just don't seem to want to work anymore. That's it in a nutshell, isn't it? Jamie's right. Not just in rugby, all over the place. You can't get anything done. Nobody wants to do anything. And if they do do something, they do it wrong. Brilliant. This is Talk TV. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We're going to take some calls in a moment. Also, uh, we're going to speak about knife crime some more uh, with Sergeant Rich Cook, chair of the Westminster Police Federation. But also, uh, more dog stories, yet more attacks and yet more terrible, dangerous dogs out there on the loose, off the leash doing harm to people uh, who don't deserve to be done harm to. But before we do anything, uh, let us have a look ahead to tonight, 7pm. You know what happens. It's Plank of the Week. Here we go. What happened at the end? Did you guys get up and go your separate ways? No, do you know what? The clip doesn't show what happened because essentially we were stuck next to each other because Victoria was then doing the link into the next segment. Mm. And he starts huffing and puffing. Oh, God's sake. Blah, blah, blah. He leans right across me and he's about three times my yeah. size, blocks me with his arm. And you see that just before the camera pans back around. But he's there, like, pulling out his microphone, his hand sailing in front of my face. And... And I actually am sort of shaking. Right. I'm sort of thinking, oh, my God, is he actually going to right. assault me? And, and that, that might sound radical, but I... But he does have, that, human, he does have this kind of deranged look in his eye, doesn't he? That's Alistair Campbell she's talking about. Uh, there was an incident on Newsnight uh, where she got monstered by Alistair Campbell. Uh, Alistair Campbell, of course, later uh, went on his own podcast to kind of, you know, uh, show some remorse for having a go at Victoria Derbyshire, but not for having a go at Alex Phillips. Very strange those lefties, aren't they? They think it's all right to just lash out whenever they feel like it because they're justified, because they're right and everybody else is wrong and they've got the moral high ground because everybody else is talking rubbish. Except it's not true, is it? That is the point. Let's talk to uh, Sergeant Rich Cook, Chair of the West Midlands Police Federation, because we got really uh, um, um, interesting news yesterday uh, on knife crime statistics, that there was a 116% increase in suspended sentences handed out uh, for knife crime um, since 2012, and a rural knife crime epidemic up 56% since 2012. So it's not just now that London is still the capital of knife crime, Manchester is still bad, Birmingham is still bad, but rural knife crime is really on the rise, uh, and that means it's seeping into our towns and our villages around this country as well. Uh, Sergeant Rich, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks indeed for joining us. Um, obviously a big problem in the cities, knife crime. How is it being dealt with in, in your neck of the woods? And, and is there anything that you can tell us that, that could help other places to kind of control it? Well, thankfully, recently, we've uh, with our new Chief Constable, Craig Guilford, We've really, I think, turned the corner with the way that we are dealing with knife crime in a far more positive 
way. Um, you know, we've started to arrest the youngsters who are carrying these weapons on the streets, and we're putting um, innocent life, the protection of innocent life, at the top priority, rather than um, what I would suggest that some parts of the justice system put the rights of the uh, criminals first. You know, a, a baby rattlesnake is just as lethal as an adult rattlesnake. It's, that's a good saying I heard the other day, and yeah. I think it's true. You know, it, this isn't about not rehabilitating people and not um, helping young people who get involved in these uh, awful offences. But what it is about is putting that protection of innocent life first. Um, you know, unfortunately, policing is only one part of the system. So we can do our job with stop and search. We can make sure people are arrested. We can put them to CPS and try and get them into court. But unfortunately, there is a backward pressure in the criminal justice system, which goes from underinvestment in prisons, lack of prison places, lack of suitable accommodation, secure accommodation for, for kids. Who, who are committing these crimes um, because we've got to have that and so there's a pressure to keep them out of the system and unfortunately that um, and it, you know underfunding um, is leading to more people being vulnerable to knife crime on, on the streets innocent people yeah I mean the trouble is with with my concerns it's more people who are perhaps not sort of hardened criminals, you know, kids who like go to school with my kids, for example, carrying knives, not necessarily with any intention of ever using them, but just the fact that they're now carrying them is a, is a concern for a lot of parents. Well, absolutely. I share that concern myself as a, as a father of three, you know. It is frightening. We've seen this horrific case in Huddersfield yesterday where the two lads, young lads, been sentenced. You know, their life is now in tatters basically but but you know at the end of the day a kid lost his life um, in an horrific way in broad daylight in a street in Huddersfield you know and we, that that has echoes into West Midlands from cases we've seen of young generally men losing their lives to brazen attacks with the most some of the most vicious weapons you see and you know it is a multifaceted problem Mike we've, we've got to clap down on supply marketing of these weapons that's one side of it but we've really got to get to grips and i think what these figures lay bare we've got to get to grips with the sentencing because an average sentence of seven and a half months or 7.7 .7, i think they say for um repeat offenders is an absolute joke right. we need minimum mandatory sentences i would suggest at least 12 months in prison and they serve yeah. 12 months because these these guys doing seven and seven point seven months are going to be out after a couple of minutes, and, and it's and it's the pub, innocent members of the public, other people's innocent kids yeah. who are, are in danger from them. Sure, absolutely right. If there's no deterrent, you know, it's going to continue to to grow, isn't it? And and surely there also has to be an argument for 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 saying you can't just not send people to prison because you haven't got any room. Make some more room or build some more prisons, surely. Absolutely. It's utter rubbish that we hear pumped out, you know. We hear ex-politicians or, or former prime ministers the other day saying there's too many people in prison. Utter nonsense when you've got dangerous criminals allowed to walk out of court with a suspended sentence or repeat uh, knife offenders in areas where we're having kids murdered mm. week after week. 
you know, it's an, it's an utter nonsense. And the people who are saying this and putting these views forward are not the people who have to live with it. It's vulnerable, working people, honest to God, working people who are affected by this and who are losing their kids as a result. And what does it take to get it to the top of the political agenda? Um, you know, I do not know. I know. It's, it's extraordinary, incredible. isn't it? Extraordinary. Let's talk a bit about dangerous dogs as well while I've got you on, because of another terrible case, not near, too near you, obviously, but up in Doncaster in South Yorkshire, uh, where a dog attacked a little boy um, who was in the family. It was a family dog. Um, it prized its uh, uh, jaws uh, into his scalp, had to have his scalp reattached. Um, he was in hospital for about five days. The dog, I think, was put down again. Again, we seem to have a sort of uh, epidemic, if you like, of these dangerous dog incidents. I don't remember a year where there were so many of them. There seems to be one sort of every couple of days these, these days. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awful. And, and I think members of the public, uh, you know, and I'm a dog lover. I class myself as a dog lover. I've had dogs all my life. Yeah, me too. Really, people, people really need to understand that if you're going to own a dog, you have to control your dog and unfortunately we see with some uh, criminal elements where they'll they'll get particular dogs like these american bulldogs and other breeds sometimes band breeds uh, and they'll use them as an intimidation tool or whatever but you know when they get off the lead you, you can't trust they're, they're animals at the end of the day yeah. and you know you've got to be 100 percent and and some of these cases are just terrible people need to educate themselves about dogs and get appropriate dogs that they can give appropriate exercise to and all the rest of it because as we've seen you know if we if the police get called you, you know we have to deal with the threat and we're under no obligation to take risk any risk with a dog which appears out of control no absolutely not but how police trained to deal with it because we had that controversial shooting the other day and i know a lot of people were critical of the police but but the police were you know in, in a particularly difficult position there absolutely and i wouldn't like to comment on that individual case because obviously the case is in court i do know a gent that the owner or has been charged with a number of offenses around that um i did see the footage online it's upsetting footage but I do know, like I go back to, is we aren't under any obligation to take any risk with either our own safety or um, or certainly not the public safety when it comes to dogs who may well be dangerous. Um, you know, and I think people, uh, we're a country of animal lovers, rightly so, but people have got to understand that when you own a dog, You've really got to um, know what the rules are and, and make sure you're under control of them because you do see people um, with a number of dogs on leads. I think we saw one last year where a woman was uh, mauled to death by her own dogs. Yeah. She had, you know, multiple dogs on leads. Um, you know, and it is, it is an increasing problem for our, our dog unit and for our... Um, firearms officers you know and it's it's a it's a it's a difficult job a sad job at times distressing job and don't underestimate the distress that that will of course those officers involved because it will have but they've got to do the job shocking state of affairs but sergeant rich cook thank you very much indeed for talking to us chair of the west midlands police federation there does seem to be something going on with dangerous dogs at the moment I'm not quite sure why there's so many of them going on but we'll bring that up of course to you whenever it happens here at talk tv coming up next kevin o'sullivan on your mobile on your wavelengths talk radio and talk tv 
Welcome back to the independent. Forgot what I was saying there. Welcome back to the independent Republican Mike Graham. Uh, it's been a long week. You know what it's like. Plank of the week coming up tonight from seven o'clock. Ian Collins will be here at one o'clock, and we will of course be carrying on throughout the day and throughout the weekend uh, with all sorts of pieces of news uh, that you need to know about. Um, and what we're going to do now is talk to a bride who has been one of those unfortunate people told that you can't get married at this hotel because it's been taken over by migrants. And this is a place in Hertfordshire, near Hitchin, in fact, in Hertfordshire, Hertfordshire, quite a nice part of the world. The Needham House Hotel um, has been taken over by the Home Office, by Serco, uh, we think, certainly by one of the companies that has a large contract with the government to house migrants uh, for about six or seven million pounds a day. Nicola Harmel uh, is with us now. Nicola, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. This is a terrible, terrible thing that's happened, isn't it? Tell us uh, when you found out that you couldn't get married. Sorry, I think the signal's gone a little bit there. Sorry, I'm asking, I was just asking, when when did you find out that you couldn't um, go ahead with the wedding? So basically we found out on social media, the hotel having a... Oh, we're struggling to get hold of, uh, of uh, Nicola there. We'll see if we can get a better, better signal. Let's talk to Kevin first in North Yorkshire. We'll get her back on. Kevin, very good uh, afternoon to you. Hello there. Thanks for taking the call. Not at all. What yeah, can I do for you? I was just, I was just laughing at the, the Darlington Memorial there up near us. And if that, if we, we kind of feel we're a bit cushioned from that sort of rubbish up here. But unfortunately, if it's got this far up north, then we really are struggling. You really are struggling. Uh, well, apparently it's all the fault of the local um, health authority. I can imagine, yeah. yeah. No, the, the reason I, the reason I was calling was um, we, you were earlier. You were on about um, um, the young um, migrants replacing the older demographic in the country, and the, the government wanting to, or apparently looking like the government want to use that as a tool to to bring young blood into the country. Right. They seem to forget. They seem to forget that um, immigrants grow old as well. I mean, that the, the issue being, if they're going to play that game, then then they really are going to cause problems because these people get old as well. So yeah. it's just absolutely pointless thinking that way. It just seems like a quick quick fix that's going to end up in a lot of lot of trouble later down the line. Well, I think you're absolutely right, Kevin. Thanks very much indeed. The point is, is that it's all very well saying, oh, we need younger people to come in and help pay for the older people. But they also have dependents. They also will take benefits out of the system. They will also end up going to the NHS, needing medical treatment, needing schools for their kids and all of that. But that doesn't help poor Nicola Harmel. I think we got Nicola back because uh, she's one of the many brides who have been told by the Needham House Hotel uh, near Hitchin in Hertfordshire, um, basically that they've been taken over by the Home Office, uh, now filling the hotel with migrants, uh, illegal migrants, mind you, people who have come here on the small boats, landed on our shores and been bussed up to Hitchin uh, to be put into this hotel for God knows how long. It's a four-star hotel. It's quite a nice place. But Nicola's been told she can't have a wedding there now because the place is full of migrants. Nicola, I'm hoping we've got you back. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm still here. I'm oh, okay. Good. Yeah, I'm just uh, disappointed. <laughs> yes. When, so you, you said you found out on social media uh, the hotel haven't even properly contacted you yet? Um, I contacted them first. Yeah. And what did they... ask about the rumours to see if... Right. And what did they, and what did they tell you? Um, the rumours were true that from immediate effect the hotel has shut. Basically, they're not cancelling my wedding because it will... They've got the contract for one year, right? Um, which means that our wedding was due for bank holiday weekend in August next year. Okay. So they said that the contract would have expired, that the hotel would be suitable for me to have the wedding um, go ahead. But it's it, they can't guarantee it. 
And so, so they said that, it's difficult yeah. to make plans, isn't it, if you don't know for sure that it's going to go ahead? Oh, completely, completely. It's awful. It's just um, they don't seem to want to help at no. all. It's like they've been offered an injection of money. Um, they've shut the, the... They don't care about the reputation. They've no. literally just shut it with no thought for anybody else. Some people were due to get married in the, in, in the coming weeks. Yeah. Um, and I, my heart goes out for them. Right. I mean, I'm lucky enough that we have found another venue, but we can't put the deposit down because um, this hotel has held, held on to mine. So you know, they're still, so they're still holding. Money. So they're holding you hostage, effectively. They're holding your money, making yeah. making it yeah. difficult for you to book it anywhere else. That's shocking, isn't it? Absolutely shocking state of affairs. But then they are penciled us in, and they said, "Look, you know." We'll because they know of the situation but it's it's literally oh we'll get to you when we get a chance to get to you right that's really um, really awful and, and it looks like quite a nice hotel i mean who knows what sort of state it's going to be in after they've had uh, a lot of people in it for a year they'll probably exactly, have to shut it to re, re, rejuvenate it won't they mm-hmm, yeah of course it's 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 a massive worry it's a massive worry i've got family coming from overseas uh, not overseas but um, from far right. that want to book the hotels and if it's shut who do i contact in the meantime right. to get my wedding arrangements sorted there's nobody about it's too much of a risk mm. so the best thing for me to do was jump ship yeah um i've got no faith in that company in 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 that hotel anymore and it's 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 really disappointing yeah. it, and it's, i think and i think <sighs> you you're right in saying i think it's about 16 people who have booked weddings there uh, over the course of the next year or so, who who don't know what they're going to do? No, exactly. It's 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 awful, but you know, I mean, luckily enough, as I say, I've found we found another venue, but it's it's not the point. They're holding our our, our deposit. Yeah. They're not giving any information around. There's nobody there to contact. They're not communicating with with myself or or any of the others. I should imagine. Yeah. Um, and it's more like just oh, we're not saying we're not giving you the refund, but you just can't have it now. Right. So because well, apparently one of the things that happens is all the staff disappear because the staff get replaced by people from the contracting company who are working for the home office. So so probably there isn't even a manager you can talk to. No, I mean there's a couple of emails flying about, but I'd be lucky if I get a reply back within a week. Yeah, that's dreadful. And it's isn't that, it? that just a email. It's just an email that's sent out to everybody. Yeah. And was it going to be quite a big wedding? Um, it was. Go- we're going to have about between sixty and eighty people. So yeah, for us, big. it's it's a medium size. But we have in. You know, me and my um, me and my fiance, we we run a small business, right. and we were going to put that into the wedding, and it was all going to everything was all fitted in. We we spent out money on the invitations, um, even like getting the cake and that because they charge per mile when they deliver. So all the little things yeah. were all in place. Right. Um, and. That- now everything has to be changed. We're now going to be getting married in a different county, just right. slightly, because it's on the Hertfordshire border. Right. So we now have to change the registrars. The, it's it's just a lot so. of stress. Yeah. You don't really need that. When we don't that. need that kind of stress. No, we've got busy lives as it is. You right. know, we, we've got three children between, you know, we've got two jobs right. each. And it, it's just hard to try and organise it all. And I just feel that they've completely shafted us. Yeah. Um, for some money i understand migrants they you know they may need somewhere to stay that's fine but this location is not suitable it really isn't suitable for them yeah what's around it um because obviously you'll see them coming and going i mean we've we've spoken to people up and down the country who say that you know wherever these migrants stay in various hotels they're sort of free to come and Mm. go and they walk around the local neighborhood you know because obviously they've got nothing to do they're not allowed to work so they're they're just going to hang around and what's it like around the hotel 
There's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. You've got a main road, um, like a road that connects Hitchin to Stevenage, yeah. and it's a village. There's not even a shop in the village. Right. So um, nowhere for board. them to go. You know, there's nothing to do there. Right. Nothing to do at all there. It's literally not in. It's not the right location for. Yeah. these young men to, to stay um, but, you know who, who knows what they'll get up to you don't know their backgrounds we don't right. know what they're like right. um, you know there's got to be a more suitable venue for them to be able to stay yeah France that doesn't affect that yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah, it, yeah. Just, it is getting to the point of ridiculousness I mean without giving away too much of the money side how much money were you going to be spending with these hotel with this hotel Roughly. Um, so it was probably between ten and twelve thousand. That's a we lot of money, isn't it? Them. And we've lost over a thousand in deposits, right. so we don't have terrible that kind of money lying around to be able to put into another deposit. No, it's, it's no, awkward. People it's don't. really, it's you know. Really but I, I mean, I do keep saying that it's unlucky. It's yeah. you know, our wedding is a year away, so right. you know, it's not this year, which we are lucky about. And there are people that are affected much more worse than I am. Right. But you know, every every person got their own story to tell, haven't they? So yeah, of course, and we have our own struggles with money. So absolutely. Well, listen, we wish you all the best, and thanks for talking to us, Nicola. Thank Hopefully, you. it all goes well when it finally does happen next August in another hotel. But how awful! for the people who are probably uh, now, even as we speak, scrambling to try and rearrange a wedding that might have been taking place in July or August of this year because they've now been told by this hotel that basically they can't have it there. Needham House Hotel near Hitchin. You might know it. Um, pretty disgraceful behaviour as well, not giving Nicola her money back and not letting her be able to put that money elsewhere. But as she said, she's already arranged to have all of the other little small things around the hotel, things to be delivered there. You know, flowers, cakes that kind of thing you know it's absolutely extraordinary and it's going on all over the country don't forget this is what we're faced with and i keep saying that rishi sunak has got to stop talking about doing something about it and actually doing something about it right now he's over in japan um glad handing it around with some other world leaders but you need to get back here pretty damn sharp and fix this problem because don't forget it's not just hitchin it's not just hertfordshire it's every single county in britain now that's got this problem. And people are having to cancel weddings, cancel proms from school, cancel parties, birthday parties, retirement parties, all sorts. Shocking state of affairs. Don't forget to subscribe to the Independent Republican Mike Graham podcast, though. Uh, we mentioned on a Thursday you get Rod Little as well. Uh, on a Monday you get Peter Hitchens as well. Uh, you never miss a moment from the show. Uh, just subscribe and download from wherever you get your podcast. It's a thing of great beauty. You get it every single day. Uh, just after the show is finished. Coming up, uh, we'll take more of your calls. We'll talk to Ian Collins. We'll find out what's going on on his show. This is Talk TV.